Hey, this is Jerry. Welcome to The New Deal. First episode ever coming to you not live from what I I guess I guess it's my basement, but but coming to you not live from my basement that is semi-finished. There's a sleeping dog on the carpet. He's useless completely. Uh, but this is The New Deal. Uh, your home for compassionate politics, I hope. Uh, you, you, you haven't moved in yet. I need to convince you that this is a good place to be. And that's what I'm hoping to do with this first episode and everything beyond this episode. So why am I doing a podcast? Jerry, why are you doing another podcast? Haven't you done enough podcasting? No. No, I haven't. Jerry, why is the New Deal named the New Deal? It's so stupid. Well, because it's it's my last name and I'm a progressive and the New Deal is a thing that existed at one time and now there's a green one and now there's this one from Jerry with a U, with an N-U, the New Deal. So I'm doing a podcast and I decided to do the podcast because in the course of doing the other podcast, uh, The Coffee Milk Hour with my uh, friend and cousin, Jordan Burns, excellent human being. Um, we, we realized that over the, over the course of that podcast, ex- with the exception of the Freestyle Friday episodes we used to do, the, the content of the episodes was more and more becoming political. And, and part of that, I think, had to do a lot with the, the current political climate. We were starting that podcast uh, right up in 2016, uh, or, or, or just before, while the primary elections for the Republicans were heating up, the uh, you know we had Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. I think we covered a lot of that primary, and then just all the really silly shit that happened um, really just lent itself to good uh, current event topics during that podcast. But I think what it did was it showed that I I have a passion for politics. It's something I enjoy talking about, and I feel like I have a voice I can lend to a lot of the things. Uh, to a lot of the events that occur, to a lot of the subjects that are out there in the discourse. Um, And I'd like to open up that conversation to people who read my blog or people who listen to this podcast. Hopefully, if you choose this podcast to be your home for compassionate politics, that's not to be confused with other politics because you need to get your politics from more than one place. So this is your home for compassionate politics. MSNBC is your home for super liberal politics. CNN is your home for talking head politics. Fox News is your home for super conservative politics. And the New Deal is your home for compassionate politics. So whatever you're feeling, whatever mood you're in that day, there's going to be a place where you can go for that type of politics. And compassionate is what we will be doing here, among other things. Disclaimer. I'm a liberal, and I typically watch CNN and MSNBC. I don't really watch too much Fox News unless I really want to be entertained. Um, So the views coming out of this podcast will trend liberal. The discussions will trend liberal. I will try to be as open to other ideas as I can be in the discussions. I'm hoping that I can eventually do a live stream, uh, maybe once a week, where I can take questions and we can actually have live discussion on politics because they say, don't have politics, don't don't have political discussions at the dinner table, don't talk politics with your family. And that's like, that's a good rule, I guess, but we want to talk about politics. We want to talk about these things because if we don't, we're just going to all end up pissed at each other more so than if we like get in an argument once or twice at the dinner table and then walk away. We need to talk about 
politics. We need to talk about people. We need to talk about America. We need to talk about the world. We need to talk about outer space and the universe. We need to talk about death and souls. And I'm getting ahead of myself. But we're going to talk about all of it. We're going to bring it all right back um, to, to, to the foundation, which is we need to communicate. Uh, whether we agree with each other, disagree with each other, whether we hold different policy positions, we need to communicate. We need to do it with a little bit of respect. Not, not always. Sometimes some discussions call for good old fashioned, disrespectful name calling. And, and, and that's not right. We shouldn't do it, but sometimes it's fun. You get, you know, get heated and and you start yelling at people. And sometimes that's just the way the conversation goes. And we're going to try to minimize that. It might get there sometimes. We'll see. Everyone, you know, has triggers and things get under their skin and, that, and that's okay. Um, but, but here we'll try to focus on the compassionate side of politics. We'll also do some current events. Uh, if anything's going on in the news that, you know, needs to be addressed or if some, you know, something comes up. I like sports. I like things like that. So we'll focus like 80% politics and there will occasionally be uh, some subject matter that's unrelated to politics to keep it fresh. I'm hoping that we can have guests here on the show from local, uh, from local politicals. Uh, politicals from local political uh, people, uh, figures. Um, maybe we can get some journalists, some friends, some people who share different uh, values than I do so that we can have a good old fashioned debate. Uh, I'd really like to have that here. So there's a lot I want to do with this podcast. There's a lot I'm hoping it can achieve, but really I'm just hoping that it can be entertaining it can be informative, and that once you get past the really annoying sound of my voice, that what you hear will be entertaining to you. Maybe you can listen to The New Deal on your way to work uh, or on your way back from work or while you're at work. Apparently, people listen to podcasts a lot. So hopefully you can fill me, uh, you know, put the, put The New Deal into one of those podcast gaps that you have. Uh, fill that up and, um, you know, hopefully we can have a good time. So what I'd like to talk about... Um, in this episode, just kind of what I'd like to do with the podcast. So mainly, I want to talk about what informs our politics. We talk a lot about policy. Are you anti-abortion? Are you pro-LGBTQ? Where are you on healthcare? Where are you on military? And people talk about their policy positions a lot, but they don't talk about what informs their politics enough. And I think getting a foundation and getting down to the level of, hey, well, why do you feel that way? Well, where did you learn uh, to, to feel that way about abortion? Where did you learn to feel that way about LGBTQ rights? Where did you get your information on on that? Because we're not born with these political stances. They're formed. They're developed, whether it's through our upbringing or uh, you know, external factors, our, our, our social circles. So what informs our, our politics? I feel like those are discussions that are worth having. So uh, let, let me talk about what informs my politics. Um, so I grew up in the Northeast. I grew up in a small town uh, called Bristol, Rhode Island, uh, which is a very small state, the smallest. We're very proud. We have a Napoleonic complex and and we thrive on it. The town I'm from is uh, called by some the most patriotic, patriotic town in America. We have the oldest 4th of July parade in the country. July 3rd is more of a holiday than July 4th, but it's it, there, there are two great days. We all look forward to it all year. Um, and that's been something that I've taken pride in my whole life. Um, so I was born in Bristol, Rhode Island. I went to high school at Mount Hope High School. I had a, what I feel like is a pretty good education. I, I was, you know, I, I, I grew up with a, a lot of friends. I was very lucky to have a lot of great friends, played a lot of sports. Um, and, and, and all my family was right there in town. Uh, when I graduated college, I went to, uh, sorry, when I graduated high school, I went to Rhode Island College in Providence, Rhode Island. 
I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, uh, when I when I left high school. But everyone said, oh, you've got you've got two years. You can figure it out later. So just go to college and do what you're going to do. And, you know, after two years, you'll have it figured out. OK, so off to college, I went and made some new friends and had some new experiences and went through freshman year and sophomore year and played more video games than I should have and got to junior year. And they said, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I have no freaking idea what I want to be. I like reading, I guess, and stories are cool. So I'll be an English major. So now I'm an English major, which didn't mean much at the time and doesn't mean too much to me now. Um, there are definitely English majors out there who do a lot with their English major. I'm not one of those people. I still love reading and I like researching and I like critical thinking, but English as a degree was not my, my finest choice, though I, I, I don't want to go as far as to say I regret it. So, so I went through college. I got my English degree, minor in writing. I really enjoy writing. I like doing some short stories. I wrote some really bad poetry, stuff like that. But what do you do with an English degree? Well, I thought English would just translate, whether I could go to, uh, you know, go into a master's program or someone say, oh, you know, that person's good at communication writing. I thought it was good for PR or journalism or things like that. And then um, what, what I didn't know when I started college was that when I graduated college, there would be a massive recession and there would be no jobs for anybody or very few people. So I got out of college with my English degree and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to make money, ready to pay off my student loans and there are no jobs. So I continued working where I was working at Borders uh, in Seattle's Best Cafe, inside Borders, as the cafe supervisor, developed my love of coffee, still have that love of coffee. And I did that for another year or so after I graduated and it became more and more apparent that it was going to be difficult for me to get a job. In Rhode Island, you need to have a teaching certificate as well as your degree to teach. That would be another two years of school. I didn't want more loan debt. I didn't want to go back to school at the time. Uh, some people um, I was close to in life, including Jordan, who I mentioned earlier, had joined the Navy. They said, oh, it's a pretty good gig. I said, well, that sounds secure. I can maybe learn some new things. So at age 23 in 2011, I went off and I joined the Navy to become an electronics technician. Uh, I got some training on that for, for a few years. And then by whatever means they decide these things, I ended up working in IT instead of as an electronics technician, um, which was a blessing in disguise. Um, worked down at the Naval Medical Center in uh, Portsmouth, Virginia. Uh, learned some IT stuff, got a certificate, thought I could, I could maybe do this. So I kept on that. Um, was in the Navy for five years, got out, uh, worked IT at the Naval War College back here in Rhode Island, uh, got another certificate and, um, you know, st still still doing that. So the English degree allowed me to go into the Navy at a slightly higher pay grade. My communication skills served me well. And now I'm working in IT, which I which I enjoy. It's a, it's, it's a good it's a good career. Um, so that's what I'm doing. Uh, that's that's my my kind of backstory. Um, I, I, I get, get a lot of exposure um, in the Navy to a lot of different people and ideas that I hadn't experienced before. Uh, growing up in the Northeast, we kind of got our own thing going on up here. Um, there's not, there's a lot of diversity, but not a lot of diversity in, in mindset. Uh, a lot, a lot of, a uh, lot of blue, especially in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. So joining the Navy, you're joining the military, you're surrounded by people from all over the country with different views on everything. So there are a lot of, uh, great conversations on some of these political topics. Uh, that occurred during the Navy. And a lot of those people um, tend to be some of my biggest critics when I post on social media, but I, I have always tried to welcome those conversations 
to the best of my ability, although sometimes it can be frustrating. But um, I, I'm, I'm glad I have those relationships and I'm glad I had those experiences uh, with those people and that those can, people continue to give feedback on, on on the way I feel about my politics. And hopefully those are the types of relationships moving forward that we can establish a discourse um, or productive discussion with one another um, to try to move things forward. Because I think if things are going to get better in America, it's going to start with all of us, um, your everyday people, so to speak, um, making inroads with one another and kind of finding those compromises that can move things forward. So that's that's kind of my background and, and, and my exposure. Growing up, super liberal. My family, super liberal. From, from a very young age, I was told, never vote Republican. Really young. We're talking like maybe nine years old. Um, never vote Republican. You know, you don't really, really know what that means. And maybe that's not the best lesson to be taught at that young age, although it rings true for me um, because over the years, I do feel like I allowed myself to develop my own political stance, my own outlook on the politics of the world. And and so, so while I was raised liberal, I actually, I ended up going further to the left in the things that I experienced and the things that I, uh, in the things that I learned, I think I lean democratic socialist. Um, I, I lean that way before, you know, Bernie came onto the scene. And I think those feelings are uh, going to be lifelong, but, th- but they're based in some of the things that I learned when I was really young, like to have sympathy for other people and to have respect for other people and to exercise the golden rule. So if so, so for me, what informs my politics is, well, what's best for everybody? Um, not just what's best for me, because, it, you know, I, I think it's really important to think about how anything or everything affects everyone. And that's really big picture stuff. But like, that's what government's about, right? Government's about big picture stuff. It's not about like, hey, how can we make this 10% of people better off? How can we better that 10% of people's you know, lives? It, it, it should be. Um, how do we make life better for every single person in this country? Um, and eventually every single person in the world, because I think globalism is inevitable, and with social media and the way that, you know, we can we can travel easily now, we can communicate with everybody now. I think glo- globalism is just an inevitability. You know, when you play futuristic video games, they're not talking about like the United States necessarily. It's like, oh, Earth. It's Earth again. Well, what do you think Earth is? Earth is just Earth. Like it's some, you know, it's all the countries combined and like they've moved beyond like, you know, our, our current structure and time moves on and history moves on and like the Roman empire isn't a thing anymore. So I think it's a little bit foolish to think that like America is going to be a thing forever. But while we are a thing, while America is a thing, while America has the power that America has, and while America has the great citizens that it has, I think we need to be thinking about how do we make America the best for all Americans. And so that's where that that's why I lean democratic socialist, because, you know, the idea of Democratic socialism takes everybody into account, puts everybody in the same pool, um, whereas a lot of um, more conservative ideas uh, tend to focus on the individual and uh, a little bit of meritocracy, not that there's anything against being awarded for your effort. You should absolutely be awarded for your effort. But we also need to make sure, I think, that everyone is afforded the same opportunity and that everyone is awarded the same amount for the effort that they put in and that the effort that they put in is valued equally. So, so what I mean by that is if I'm putting in effort level 10 in writing 
journalism articles and you're putting effort level 10 in computer programming, we're both putting in effort level 10. And and so while I understand that, you know, one thing may or may not be more valuable, um, both of those people should be able to live comfortable lives. I think everyone should agree, would agree. And I think um, not to get into the nitty gritty because it's not what I want to do this episode, but when we're talking about things like minimum wage, if one person's working 40 hours a week and another person's working 40 hours a week, what is the minimum that we as a society want to guarantee those two people for working 40 hours a week? You know, what should the rule for, hey, anyone who works 40 hours a week should get X, whether it's a comfortable living environment or be able to afford an apartment, you know, whatever it may be. But I feel like it's good to have societal minimum standards, including minimum wage. Um, But I think, you know, that's a mindset. That's a mindset because in a meritocracy, um, which I feel like a lot of people lean toward, they'll say, well, yeah, they work 40 hours, but I work at 40 hours at this thing that, you know, makes more money. So because this thing makes more money, it's valued more by society, maybe. And therefore I deserve to make way more money, even though I'm putting in the same amount of work over those 40 hours as the other person working 40 hours. So it's those kind of ideas that I think need to be, you know, revisited uh, that need to be discussed uh, more frequently because those are the types of concepts that really drive our political opinions. You know, what is at the basis of those political opinions? Because whatever is driving those types of opinions are the feelings or fears or insecurities that are, you know, forming that, you know, surface level policy that we're not looking beyond. So um, that those are the kind of things I'd like to get at um, on some of the episodes that I, I hope to do here. So, um, so, so that gets me to, you know, what, what, how, how do we evaluate things? Well, I think we don't ask big enough questions, um, as a society. And, and I think that we also tend to ignore the reality of, uh, being, being human. So, so some big questions, for instance, are, I think should be, well, what makes people happy in life? And, and people kind of talk about something like that as this idea, oh, well, what makes you happy? Shouldn't that be a societal standard? Shouldn't society be focused on making people happy? Isn't being happy kind of like the, the biggest goal of the human condition? So why doesn't our society reflect that? Oh, well, you know, it's more, well, what will make me the most money? What will allow my family the most support? And then we're supposed to expect that those types of things will translate to happiness. It's kind of like addressing a symptom instead of the problem. You know, we all want to be happy, but we're not talking about how do we get happy. We're talking about, well, how do we get money and all these other things that should equate to happiness, even though time and time again, there's kind of no guarantee that a lot of those things combined equate to happiness. We all know money doesn't equate to happiness. You need to be doing other things that are less tangible, usually, um, to achieve that. Not that money can't make anyone happy, but usually... Money affords you the time to do the intangible things that will make you happy. It, it's, it's, a, it's a means to an end. Uh, it's a middleman, essentially. So shouldn't society be focused on what makes people happy in life? Um, I know that I don't love being at work. Work is work. I feel like most people don't love being at work. Some people love their jobs, and that's fantastic. Uh, I, I don't feel like... The American system right now is too concerned about whether or not you love your job, though. Um, I mean, just, you know, small offshoot. 
the if you look at the highest paying careers in America, they are they're really it's like three fields. It's like unless you're in healthcare or finance or sales, like you, you're you're not you're not going to make a ton of money. You're you're not going to like everything under that is kind of like the the middle. And then in order to like make it in those middle fields, for instance, like let's say being a lawyer or or something along those lines. You need to be really good at what you do in one of those jobs to even approach what the people in the top fields make. So unless you have a highly specialized set of skills in one of the three or four job fields that pays a lot of money, you probably aren't doing you know, what you want to do. Unless you have a natural gift for one of those three fields, you probably aren't doing what you would really like to be doing. For me, like I'd really like to be home researching politics or doing a podcast like this on a regular basis or playing video games or hanging out with my girlfriend, you know, whatever it may be. Those are the things that make me happy. Spending nine hours inside of a windowless room does not make me happy. It doesn't provide me fulfillment. You know, I have to find fulfillment outside of work. And I feel like a lot of people um, live that life. I feel like that's kind of the American way. You find you go to work so that you can find fulfillment outside of work, and that's kind of your the dues you pay uh, for happiness. So maybe that's a cynical way of looking at it, but I don't think so. I think that's just kind of true. Um, but I feel like there needs to be more time for hobbies and special interests. Everyone wants to travel, right? Oh, yeah, I want to go travel. Well, travel is expensive. You need to go work if you want to travel. You can't just travel. That's ridiculous if you think you can just travel, unless you want to like go backpacking and like you know, sleep in a, a tent or something and like, you know, but, but no, you cannot travel in comfort at all unless you are working really hard making a lot of money and saving up for extended periods of time. Uh, and if you want to do that, um, and if you want to have a family, you're probably not going to have too much downtime and you're probably not going to be sleeping eight or nine hours a night because you really need to fit in those things that you like doing. Uh, but there's not a lot of time to do that. If you're working 40 to 50 hours a week, so you're probably going to sacrifice some sleep or some family time to do the other things that you'd like to do. And it's a mess, right? So we're not focusing on that. We're not focused on focusing on, well, how can we let people travel more easily? Or how can we help people get more sleep? We're, we're saying get more sleep. The doctors say I'll get eight hours a night of sleep, but no one's saying, well, well, society's not really providing a conducive model for an eight hour, uh, night of sleep. If you still want to be able to, you know, get, a lot of enjoyment out of life. So I feel like those are the types of questions we need to address when we are thinking about political policies. Oh yeah, well, I'd like this policy passed for business. Okay, well, does that have a negative impact on employees' lives outside of work? Because I think things like that matter and need to be taken into account. So that's kind of where I'll be coming from on a lot of these things. Um, and I know that a lot of people feel differently as well. So um, I'm definitely up for those conversations. Uh, I, I've got written down here a question, am I better than you? And I don't mean that like, oh, am I smarter or am I just like a, a better off, you know, human being? Am I, just, am I just crushing life and you suck? No, that's not what I mean. Um, I feel like, am I better than you is a question that a lot of people are asking themselves in their head a lot. I feel like there's a lot of judgment right now in American society, especially with the current political uh, dynamic in the country, because I do feel like, I, I think it's fair to call it selfishness. I think that's okay. I think selfishness drives a lot of the way people feel about political issues. Because if we're talking about meritocracy and we're talking about opportunity and we're talking about people who operate from a mindset of scarcity, that is to say they think that if someone else gets to succeed, then they might not get to succeed. Um, that's coming from a place of of selfishness and in, in some cases 
fear. So I think a lot of people out there do ask the question, well, am I better than you? Well, yeah, I'm better than you because I do this. I'm better than you because I did this. Oh, well, you could have it as good as me if you had done these things that I did because I'm better than you. And and so I feel like that question, am I better than you, is something that enters into the minds of Americans. And I don't think you know, I'm, I'm certainly not exempt from this. Um, I think it's, it's something that comes up. It's like, oh, well, I did this, this, and this. So, you know, why are you complaining? But o- over the years, I've, I've, you know, discovered that that's not, it's not a healthy mindset. I also don't think it's a correct mindset. I think it's one that is a little bit uh, short-sighted. Um, and, and I think there are better ways to look at the world and, and looking at other people. Um, but I do think that question, am I better than you, um, is, is in a lot of people's head. And I think it, it, it brings up other issues like, you know, what cost are people willing to, um, at what cost are people willing to disadvantage other people for their personal gain? Um, you know, we see this maybe a little bit with like the immigration crisis, not to get too dark, but it's like, you know, you see people saying, oh, well, my ancestors, you know, my family, they came here legally and blah, blah, blah. But they're saying that as a justification for kids being in cages on the border, you know, it's like, oh yeah, there's kids in cages, but they didn't come here legally. My family came here legally because they're better than the people that are coming here illegally. So it doesn't matter if they're locked in cages because they're not doing it the same way my family did it. So because my family is better. So like they're in cages and that's their own fault. And it's like, whoa, okay. So, so, so they're willing to, you know, put kids in cages because they feel that their legality here, their family's legacy here, it may be threatened by people coming across the border illegally by different means. And because that will take something away from them, either in the way they view themselves or the way they view their family, it might, it may or might, may not be okay to lock kids in cages, or maybe I'll just choose to be indifferent to them locking kids in cages because it might affect the way that I view my family, or it might take something away from people that are, you know, you know, came here legally at some point in the last one or 200 years or, or something along those lines. But people, I think all the time are willing to say, well, okay, I'm afforded this opportunity. It helps me, even though it puts these other people in a less than ideal situation. Um, when I think the reality is everyone can have a good, everyone can be afforded good opportunities and everyone can make the most of those opportunities. And just because we're willing to say, Hey, as a society, we'd like to give everyone uh, more opportunity by, you know, in stating these programs, that doesn't mean that you will therefore be unsuccessful or threatened. It just means that the playing field is going to get even. And if you believe that you're better than everyone, then you should definitely be able to compete on that even playing field because it's even. And so you should be fine, right? Um, so I, I'd like to, when talking about politics in general, when talking about these issues, I think it's always important to say, am I thinking about this selfishly? Am I thinking about this in terms of me? And, you know, will the effect of a new policy or or this policy position have a negative effect on such a large amount of people that it's actually not worth my benefit to impose that type of disadvantage on others? I think that's something that should be asked with every single political question that comes up. Um, so, you know, if, if a tax break I'm not talking about the last one, just hypothetically, but like if there's a tax break that comes out and it gives like 25% of the people a tax break at the top, but 75% of the people at the bottom have to pay more, 
Is that something we should pass? Well, well, no. Like, I don't care how you try to justify it, right? Because that 25% of the people gets the money and then they get to decide what to do with the money. Because the law can't guarantee, oh, they'll use it for jobs or it'll trickle down or whatever, um, then we shouldn't be passing that law because it doesn't guarantee the bottom 75% anything at all. Nothing. Zero. So if it disadvantages 75 for the benefit of 25, probably not a good law, right? We should think about things that way. Or at least I think we should think about things that way. Um, I also think, you know, we talked about the, the job fields and stuff, you know, do we value personality? Do we value the given gifts of American citizens these days? Um, if someone has an artistic mind, if someone is creative, you know, dr driven creatively, if they're, uh, you know, for, for lack of a better uh, phrase, uh, that they, you know, they're non-finance, they're non-IT, they're non-medical, um, are we actively disadvantaging these people? Do we value those people? Are we giving them the best chance at uh, a happy life? because our society says that all the money should go to these three or four other occupations. Um, if we live in a system that's forcing people, um, or rather, if, if our system is forcing people into a narrower and narrower corridor that says, if you wanna be able to live and support yourself and your family, you need to do one of these three or four jobs, is that the type of society that we wanna live in? And if it is, what things are we going to do outside of, um, let's say, the, those job fields that will make life better for everyone on the outside? Um, for for instance, you know, there's there's uh, been, you know, it's been floated by a presidential candidate or two, and and been, I, I think it's been experimented around the world elsewhere. This idea of like a, a guaranteed. Um, minimum wage. So, you know, like every household will receive $1,000 every month, no matter what, whether you're employed, unemployed, whether you make $100,000 a year or $50,000 a year, every household will get like a stipend. Um, is that something that we should explore? You know, if the jobs start disappearing because technology is taking over and now we don't need cashiers and, you know, computers are self-sustaining and self-diagnosing and the jobs just kind of start shriveling up, um, you know, should should we just start giving minimum stipends? And I feel like a lot of people rail against that. But it's like, imagine a world where all the jobs are essentially taken care of by mostly technology and only 20% of people actually have to go to work every day, which means 80% of people can do whatever the fuck they want all day. Like, that sounds great to me. Like, I can wake up, I can like live my life, I can do the things that I actually enjoy, but people hate that idea. There are people who hate it. They're like, no. People need to go to work. They need to go to work and they need to make money. They need to support society. So it's like we're actively working toward a society that's like more automated. And it's like we don't, but we don't embrace it because it gets rid of jobs because like we view jobs as this like really important thing. But jobs like restrict us from like living the best versions of our life that we could lead. And people don't seem to understand that like before America before Western civilization, they're like huge groups of people that like didn't have like a normal job that they went to every day. Like for the majority of human history, like people woke up in the morning and then they were like, how am I going to survive today? And like, oh, I'm going to go plant some stuff. Or I'm going to go hunt some stuff with their friends every day. Like people go hunting for recreation now. Like you could have done that every day. 
you know, not to say it was easy. I'm sure it was very difficult. And like, you didn't always get like a deer or whatever it was that they ate back, a mammoth. He didn't always get one, you know, it was frustrating and you get home and like everybody's pissed because he didn't kill the mammoth. And like Johnny died trying to kill the mammoth. And like, everyone's like kind of sad, but not really because they're like really hungry because he didn't kill the mammoth. And like, so everyone forgets about Johnny and that sucks. Like, Oh, okay, you know, but still, you get to wake up essentially when you want. You get to hang out with your friends all day. You don't have to go to quote unquote work. You probably get to work outside. And like, that's kind of what we're working toward, except in reverse. It's like, okay, you won't have to go to work, but also everything else is taken care of. Like you still have the food, the food is still there and like everything's good. And like, we're just going to give you some money and like you go buy your stuff and, you know, have fun. That sounds good to me, right? Like, let's live life. But other people don't like that idea. So so, so why, right? Um, what do we want from society um, is what I'm getting at. It's a question I feel like we don't ask enough ever. Um, what are we building? What's the fucking point, right? Um, hey, welcome to America. Um, we don't have a goal right now. Um, we believe in capitalism. Uh, people should go to work and they should make money and probably pay taxes. And we, we like businesses. Businesses are cool. Um, and, and that's it. Like, you know, other than that, they just kind of like do what you want. And that's it. And it's like, well, what's the goal? What's the point? What are we working forward? Um, you know, if, if you're at a job, right? Or, or you're doing anything, you're like, okay, what do I want to do? That's the first question you ask. What do I want to do? And then you say, okay, well, how are we going to get there? What, are we gonna, what do we need to do? What do we need to plan? What are the logistics? Then you plan it out. Well, America has no goal. Like, what are we working toward? It's like, okay, we got some amendments and stuff, and it's cool. We got, like, freedom of speech, and we got all these other things. But, like, as a society, what are we working toward? I think that's something that we should probably start, like, looking at. Maybe it's a conversation we should have. We should probably sit down together. We should have a meeting and say, hey, guys, like, what's going on? You know, we've been alive for a while now. Like, what are we doing? Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, let's figure that out. What do you want to do? And then we'll argue for, like, 200 years and then on the other side of it like we'll we'll come out and like you know I'm, I'm sure it'll be good because people tend to people tend to figure it out i guess i mean i generally have faith in people that we figure it out um but i feel like we need to ask those types of questions and again i feel like when we're talking about any political discussion i feel like we need to keep these things in mind these are questions we need to keep in mind is this disadvantaging someone else do i need this benefit more than other people um you know, does does my benefit outweigh uh, other people being disadvantaged by this policy? Does this policy drive us toward a future that we want to be part of? Is this something that, you know, we want to say this is American or this is Earth? You know, this is humanity. This is what humanity looks like. This is what we want to do. People say all the time, like, oh, well, that's ideal. That's idealistic. Oh, that's, you know, fuck you, right? Because, Every the founding fathers were idealists. You know, the only thing that pushes progress is idealist. If you don't have an ideal, if you don't have something to work toward, you're not going to get anywhere. So, like, yes, we should all be idealists. Every day we should wake up thinking, what is the perfect world? Okay, how does that work in America? And how does America get there? Period. And we don't need to think small. It's not like, oh, perfect world is like, I only need to work like 20 hours a week. And like, maybe then I can get like six and a half hours of sleep. No, that's settling. Don't settle. Perfect world is fucking go to bed at 2 a.m. For me, I'm not a morning person. Go to bed at 2 a.m. Wake up at 10. Like, have coffee. Walk around the yard for a bit. Go for a drive. 
like have sex with your significant ever whenever the fuck you want like just doing whatever you want when you want it hanging out with friends like that's the ideal world right and all the food is available and you get all the toys and gadgets you want to play with and like your kids are happy and like you can play sports with them every day even if it's a tuesday because tuesday is just another day just like saturday holy shit you know let's dream people let's dream let's dream with compassion here at the new deal that's my pitch now that anyway I'm, I'm getting off topic so so i think i feel like we should talk about those things um and and, and so just as examples you know where would this apply you know healthcare. Should rich people live and poor people die? Or are they all people? And should they all be treated? Should they all be saved? Should we have to pay money to live? You know, money is just a thing that we believe in because we want to, because we choose to. It's a piece of paper. The paper comes from a tree. It's printed in some place where they make money that I forget the name of right now, but it comes out and it's green and then we go spend it. Or actually it's imaginary most of the time. It's on a little piece of plastic that we carry in our wallet because money can be wherever the fuck we want it because it's imaginary anyway. And it serves a purpose right now. And that's great. Um, Should people die for this imaginary idea that we call currency? Uh, Some people seem to think so. Um, Abortion. Should we force people to give up their right to their choice and relationships to their body? Um, Oh, well, you know, that person shouldn't have an abortion because I don't think they should. I'm better than that person. I have more moral integrity than that person. I don't make bad choices. That person sucks. They made bad choices. Um, I mean, is that the way we should be thinking about things? Immigration. Aren't people just people? Borders are constructs. They're imaginary line. If you stand at the border between the U.S. and Canada and it's like just woods, like you're not even going to know there's a border there, but like someone crosses the line, oh, fuck them, they should die, like because we're better than them. Oh, well, we're better than them. These are my woods, and those are their woods. And if they come into my woods, bear trap, motherfucker. What now? Because I'm better than them, and they can't come on my woods because my woods, right? Or do you want to be like, hey, you know, come over here. Share my woods. It's fun. There's no line. I don't don't understand what we're talking about with this border thing. Not that I think there shouldn't be borders. I'm not advocating for, you know, borderless nations. I'm just saying that maybe we overreact sometimes, and maybe we think that we're better than some people, and maybe we shouldn't, or maybe we should you tell me, we'll have this discussion. But de- but but a lot of immigrants are dehumanized, and we're all humans, so we should probably stop dehumanizing other humans because we're humans, right? Um, trade. Trade are numbers because it's money and it's imaginary. We send stuff over the ocean, we send it in the air, and then we put tariffs on stuff, then people have to like pay more money to get the trade stuff, and then people get pissed, and we got to give the farmers more money, and then they're upset because they can't live as good as they used to because other people are making decisions for them because they think they're better than them, and should we be thinking that way, or should we just like figure it out? I mean, that's really minimizing like really complex things because trade and finance are not my thing. I don't understand it, but you know, numbers, numbers numbers standards and morality do they or don't they apply to politics we have separation of church and state how do we want to think about that morality exists outside of religion as well so can we apply morality outside of religion should god be involved at all i don't think so because we don't even know if one exists and because we got a lot of different religions here and some people believe in the flying spaghetti monster and the flying spaghetti monster, I don't care, is just as legitimate as Mr. Catholic God or Mr. Jewish God or like whoever you think is God, like whatever, Mother Nature. Like they're all even because someone believes in them just as much as you do. So like maybe we should take that into account and just call it morality and let's say like, is that a good idea? Is that good? Do we like it? Is it good? Okay, it's good. Let's do it. Oh, that sucks. That's bad. 
Nobody likes it. The satanic people, they really don't like it. They're generally good people. We should probably listen to them on this one. Let's go with that, right? Right. Okay, cool. So that's that's kind of how I'd like to talk about things. Now, this is all very fun, right? We're talking about things in fun ways. And like, I've pissed some people off by this point already. And other people are like, oh, fuck yeah. And then some, some people are like, this guy's absurd. This guy's an idiot. Like, I everyone knows I get serious. Everyone knows I get very serious. Um, if you are friends with me on Facebook, you've suffered through years of my big, long posts that like nobody ever reads. Um, so this is my outlet. This is my outlet for that. So we will talk about serious things. I'd like to try to keep things light as well, because I feel like it's more entertaining and I feel like everyone understands a little bit of comedy, right? And everyone can, can relate to a little bit of, of, of absurdity, especially right now in like the most absurd time in human history. If you think about it, if you really think about it, I was reading this thing the other day and it was like, humans now work more hours to survive in a week, just going to work. Than at any other time in recorded history, like we work hard, we work more hours to survive making money and pay our mortgages and all that other stuff did than like people in tribal times did to like gather food and build their shelters and all that other stuff. Like, think about that. That's like, like they worked, I think like some cultures work like three to four hours a day, like five hours a day, like at most. And it was like, you know gathering food or, you know, hunting or, you know, you know, building shelters or like community stuff. Um, we work eight, nine hours a day, 40 hours a week to go to a place and make money so that we can like, you know, participate in the, uh, military industrial complex and like push capitalism and like, let's sell stuff. And like, you know, I like toys. I really like computers. I like buying toys. I like that stuff. I don't want to get rid of it. I'm just saying we work awfully hard Right now, it was supposed to be like the most technologically advanced, easiest time for human beings ever. We're working harder than we ever have, at least in America. It's not true for all cultures, but in America, that's the case. Crazy, right? So the New Deal. No, a few things. I, I speak in ideals. I will always speak in ideals. I will always be informed um, by hopefully um, hope and love for other people and compassion for other people. And I certainly have my flaws. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a hippie. Um, I, I have my own biases. Um, I have my own issues that are like, oh, well, if you don't agree with me, you can go fuck yourself. You know, I, th I think we all have those points. And so, you know, that'll come through at some point too, I'm sure, because sometimes we just can't help it. We just can't resist it. But I hope we can have good discussions here. We can talk about current events. We can talk about other things going on. We can talk about issues. We can talk about, but maybe maybe sometimes we talk about sports, or maybe sometimes we talk about, um, you know, technology, or you know, some of these offshoots. You know, just just current events and how they affect people's lives. That's what I'd like to do here. So primarily politics, um, and, and a little bit of everything else sprinkled in. And and I'd really like, you know, I, you know, I'd, I'd like the audience here. I'd like, you know, the guys listening, uh, the people driving these discussions. I'd like to hear, you know, every side of it. So um, this is the first episode of The New Deal. I hope you guys stick around. I hope you guys enjoy future episodes. I'm really excited to uh, maybe do like those live streams and like actually have like live political discussions, which sounds awful at its face value. But I, I, but I, I do think there is value. Let's get beyond the troll comments, right? Let's get beyond, um, you know, all the surface level shit that people do because everybody cares. Everyone cares. 
The trolls care, the people who are dicks care, Republicans care, Democrats care, people care because people care. That's just our nature. So let's get beyond all the surface level bullshit and let's get down to the real conversation, um, both on the podcast, on the blog, and hopefully through the, uh, those live streams. And, um, so I'm looking forward to this guys. I'm looking forward to, uh, the new deal. Please check out the blog at again, the new deal, uh, nudeal.com. Um, so there's the blog there. As one of my friends po- pointed out, it might look like the nude Al um, on you know Facebook and stuff, which I think is hilarious. I'm not going to change the name. Uh, I can be the New Deal or the Nude Al, um, whatever you want it to be, as long as you're having a good time um, listening to the podcast, reading the blogs, and uh, hopefully on the live stream. Um, it's a, it's something that I'm willing to uh, to keep um, and something being made fun of for. So. Thanks for checking in. First episode of The New Deal. I will talk to you guys soon. Hopefully I have an episode up uh, at least once a week and I hope to get the live stream uh, going here soon as well. Um, Hope everybody has an absolutely fantastic October and um, we'll talk again. This is Jerry Nutini for The New Deal and I'll see you soon.